You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Have you ever had an experience when you're watching a movie, particularly with kids, and a new character enters the story and you get asked the question, are they a goodie or a baddie? Kids particularly want to know, what category should I put this person in? Are they a goodie? Are they the hero who's going to save the day? Or are they a baddie? Are they someone I should watch out for who's going to cause problems uh, for the other characters? Real life, of course, is much more complicated. We don't categorise people as easily as goodies and baddies. We're all a complex mix, aren't we, of good and bad. Good and bad actions, good and bad motives, good and bad decisions. As the Russian novelist Alexander Solzhenitsyn famously wrote, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. And when we come to the Bible, the same is true. One of the ways that people uh, misread the Bible is they treat it as full of heroes, that if a person makes the cut to be in the Bible, particularly in the narratives of the Old Testament, therefore they must be a model for us to follow, they must be a hero, they must be a goodie. But the trouble is that when you look at these characters in more detail, you realise that they are flawed and failing human beings. There's a mixture of good and of bad. Just because they're in the Bible doesn't mean that everything that they do is good all of the time. On the contrary, there are lots of problems for every single character in the Bible, with one exception, the only truly good human that we find in the pages of the Bible is Jesus, whose life is perfect and is the model for us to follow. Well, over January, we've been looking at one particular character in the Bible, King Solomon. And Solomon is famously one of the great kings of the Bible. His reign possibly marks the high point in Israel's history through the Old Testament. But as he's presented, he can't be easily categorised as a goodie or a baddie. It's not black and white. Uh, The Bible story is realistic in showing both his flaws as well as his successes. Here's what we've seen so far. We've seen that God blessed Solomon with great wisdom, that people would come from near and far to hear his insights. Last week, we heard about the visit from the Queen of Sheba, who came because of Solomon's famed wisdom. We've seen that he was a great builder and that he built the Temple of God in Jerusalem, a magnificent building that took seven years to build and was really impressive. But at the same time, he spent nearly twice the amount of time, 13 years, building his own 
palace, which makes you go, okay, what's going on in terms of his own priorities there? Solomon was incredibly wealthy and militarily very strong. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? At one level, you could say, well, God really blessed him to give him those things and it was a good time in Israel's history as far as the economics and the military side of things were. But at the same time, when you look at things that the Bible has to say about wealth and about trusting in your own strength rather than in God's strength, it raises questions about where Solomon's priorities were. And the way that he ruled over the nation of Israel was a mixture of good and bad as well. He organised the government into different administrative districts uh, and he introduced taxation. So you might say, oh, good, good administrator, strong on economic policy. And he formed alliances with other nations and formed trading alliances with them as well. You might say, oh, strong on foreign policy. But he used slave labour and the levels of taxation were very high and caused problems within Israel. And as part of his trading, he sold off areas of the northern part of Israel for those trades, selling off essentially the promised land that God had given his people and told them not to sell or to give away. So through the whole story so far, we've seen that there's a mixture of good and bad, there's wins and there's also criticisms. Most of those criticisms thus far have been kind of implicit, read between the line type criticisms. But as we come today to the final chapter that we'll look at in the story of Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 11, we see that we move away from the more subtle criticism to more explicit condemnation. Let me read. 1 Kings 11, starting at verse 1, I'll read the first three verses. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Okay, let's just say it up front. That is a lot of wives. 700. Um, Anna and I have great difficulty sort of scheduling date nights, but can you imagine being Solomon trying to schedule his date nights? I mean, At best, even if he was organising a date night every night, he'd see each wife maybe once every two years. That's not really enough to form a a deep and intimate relationship. More importantly, this marrying of foreign wives goes completely against the commands that God has given to his rulers. Now, that might trouble you. Does that mean that God's racist? Is God against cross-cultural relationships or interracial marriages? No, not at all. This command is not racial and it's not cultural, it's religious. 
God's concern with his people marrying people from these other nations is that they'll be led into idolatry, that they'll turn to the gods of those nations and they'll worship them rather than the true God. That's stated explicitly in verse 2 where it says, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. And that's exactly what happens. I'm going to read on from verse 4. And the key word here that I want you to listen out for is the word heart. It's repeated a number of times, so tune your ear in for that word. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. God cares about our hearts. Now, biblically, the heart concerns uh, the intellect and the conscience and feelings and our wills. It's a multifaceted aspect of who we are. It really concerns the whole inner being when you think about it biblically. It's, it's the core of who we are. And God wants us to turn this core of who we are towards him, to focus our hearts on him rather than on anyone or anything else. So when Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? This is what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. There's an old saying you might have heard, you are what you eat. But in the Bible, it's more true to say, you are what you love. The things that we turn our hearts to, the things that we invest our love in, is actually what defines us in the end. As people who are made by God and made for relationship with God, love for him must be first and foremost. And sadly, this is where Solomon drifts away. He doesn't abandon God. He just pushes God to the side and includes other gods and other things alongside God, which is not good enough in the words of our passage. As we're told here, his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. So let's just pause and think about ourselves. It's easy, as I said, to look at characters in the Bible and to categorise them. Are they goodies or are they baddies? But what's more helpful for us is to learn from them and to ask ourselves, what things might I need to change? What are the dangers and pitfalls that I see them falling into that I need to be wary of personally? More specifically, as we look at Solomon in this chapter, a good question to ask ourselves is, how are our hearts going 
Is my heart fully devoted to the Lord? Are there things that are turning my heart away from God? Are there things that I'm loving more and focusing on more than God? For Solomon, the the problem areas were relationships and sex, being drawn to so many women, power, because these relationships were as much about political alliances as anything else, and wealth, as we've seen, acquiring more and more for himself. Relationships, sex, power, and wealth. Not much has changed in 3,000 years, has it? These are still areas which are powerful magnets, which draw our hearts to them and can draw our hearts away from God. So let me ask you, are there relationships that you're involved in which are drawing your heart away from God? Are you in relationship with people who don't have the same priority for God as you do, and that's causing you to drift away from God in your love for him and priority for him. As I think back on the people that I was friends with when I was in youth group and when I was a young adult, and I can see very clearly for a number of them, it was the relationships that they entered into, romantic relationships and other relationships, which caused them to drift away from God. Are you concerned with power? Uh, Maybe it's prioritising your work because as you progress in your work life, as you go up the ladder in whatever the field that you're working in, that that gives you more status and power, that people respect you more because of what you're doing. And this can become more of a focus for you than actually focusing on God and giving him your heart. Again, I know many people who've fallen into this trap over the years where work and career becomes such a focus that they drift away from God. Their attendance at church and at life group becomes less regular than non-existent as their heart drifts away? Or are you becoming concerned with wealth, caught in a trap where you've got to keep acquiring the next thing, where your lifestyle level just keeps creeping up and creeping up, and so the things that were wants become needs, and then they become things that you just couldn't live without where you keep looking at that next acquisition, something that you don't currently have, and you think, if I just had that, then I'd be truly happy. Where comfort replaces courageous Christian service as the main priority. See, our our hearts can be drawn by many different things, and usually it's in very subtle ways that this happens. So let me ask you again, how is your heart going? What is your heart being drawn to? Would you say that your heart is 
fully devoted to the Lord your God? Are you loving the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength? Now, these, of course, are very challenging questions for all of us because, as we've noticed, within each of us there is a mixture, isn't there, of good and bad, of successes and failures. And we need to remember that it is only God's grace to us in Jesus Christ that brings us into relationship with him. It's God who cleanses our hearts and refines our heart to be more like him. It's God who shapes the desires of our hearts so that we are more like Jesus. So we need God's ongoing grace. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to keep guarding and shaping our hearts. So if you're aware that your heart has been drifting, that your heart is drifting, I want to say to you very clearly, don't despair. Turn back to God and tell God that you're concerned about your heart being drawn away from him. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask for his power to help you to change and to be transformed and to give him all of your heart as you follow after Jesus. Now, all of this talk about our hearts and our loves might sound a little bit vague. And when we speak about hearts in our culture, sometimes we do think primarily about feelings. Now, feelings are vital. I don't want to underestimate that. Uh, And feelings are a vital part of our relationship with God. But they are not everything. And as I said, biblically, the heart is broader than just our feelings. It covers our intellect, our conscience, our, our will, the decisions that we make, as well as our feelings. And so loving God with our heart has clear and concrete parameters as well. Uh, and as Solomon is described here as having his heart drawn away from God, he's also criticised for disobeying the commands of God. And those two things go hand in hand. Here's what we read in 1 Kings 11 verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So there's nothing vague here. God has said to Solomon, don't follow other gods. But Solomon has disobeyed that explicit command that God had given him. You can't pretend to be loving God when you are ignoring the explicit and direct commands that God has given you in the Bible. As as Kirk pointed out, In his talk last week, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, near the start of the Bible, part of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 to 26, kings of Israel were given commands about how they should rule and how they shouldn't rule. Don't acquire military might in the form of horses, they were told. Don't take lots of wives or your heart will be drawn away from God. Don't accumulate for yourself masses of silver and gold. And Solomon ignores every single one of those commands from that chapter. 
And maybe he felt like he knew best. Maybe he felt God's commands are way too restrictive and old-fashioned. Maybe he wanted to be free himself and free from God's constraints. But whatever the motivation was, the result was he was disobedient to God's commands. You see, loving God has a structure to it. It has a concrete shape to it. God doesn't just say, love me, and you work out how to do that best. No, he gives us a structure and a shape in the form of the commands that he gives us and the wisdom that he gives us in the Bible. So, in fact, the kings of Israel were told to write out the commands that were given to the kings, to write out their own copy when they became king so that they would adhere to it and they would know what God wanted them to do. That's good advice, isn't it? Good advice for them and also good advice for us. If we want to love God and ensure that our hearts are drawn to God and that they're not drawn away to other things, then it is, it's wise for us to know God's commands and God's wisdom. It's good for us to examine over and over again the life of Jesus. How does Jesus live? What does Jesus teach? to read and reflect on the whole counsel of God given to us in the Bible. If we're going to have our hearts shaped by it, we need to know it, we need to sit up under it, and we need to put it into practice. So with a new year ahead of you, how might you go away ensuring that you're doing that, that your heart is being shaped by the commands that God has given us in his word? Maybe you could join a life group this year if you're not already in one. Or if you are in one, commit to attending that life group where together you look at God's word and you think together about putting it into practice and pray together to ask God's help as you do it. Uh, Maybe you need to prioritise in your own personal time making sure that you're reading or listening to the Bible so that God's word is filtering into your mind and into your life. Committing to weekly attendance at church, whether that's online or in person, to make that part of your regular habit where you'll hear God's word with God's people to think about how you put it into practice. Maybe, like the kings of Israel, you need to write stuff out, to write down Bible verses, to commit them to memory, so that you really know what God is calling you to do. Love has a shape and a structure to it. God's word shows us how to shape our hearts, to know how best we can love him and how we can love other people as well. And love of God involves obedience of God, obedience of his word. Like Solomon God directs us to show us the best way that we can love him and how we can live in obedience to what God has told us. Well, sadly for Solomon, the fact that his heart drifts away from God had consequences. It had consequences for him personally, but also it had consequences for the nation of Israel that he ruled over. And the rest of our chapter from 1 Kings 11 really outlines 
how things go from here in light of Solomon's disobedience. So in, in verses 14 to 25, we read about external threats to the nation, that Hadad from the nation of Edom and Rezon from the nation of Aram, neighbouring countries, will actually cause problems for Solomon and Israel. They'll, they'll oppose them. And then in verses 26 to 40, it speaks about internal threats that were developed, uh, particularly a guy called Jeroboam, who's an important official within Solomon's administration. He'll start gathering people to himself and oppose Solomon and Solomon's, Solomon's descendants as well. And ultimately, that would lead to civil war and the nation being torn in two, which God warns will happen in this chapter. In a very graphic way, the prophet Ahijah demonstrates this by taking his cloak off and tearing it into 12 pieces. And he gives 10 of those pieces to Jeroboam and said, and says, uh, you will be given 10 parts of Israel representing the tribes uh, and one will remain for Solomon's descendants, his son uh, Rehoboam, who follows him as king. Uh, the maths doesn't quite add up because there's 12 and, hey, 10 and 1. It's complicated. But the point is that the nation will become divided and Solomon's descendants will only get the small part that is left, part of the, the south of Israel is all that is left to them, uh, and the rest becomes a separate nation under Jeroboam and then other kings who follow him. And it all flows from Solomon's disobedience, lack of wisdom, and not living under God's good rule and having his heart devoted to the Lord his God. It's a sombre warning. It's sad that Solomon and the nation of Israel didn't heed the warning when it came to them. But it's a sombre warning for us too that we need to listen to God, that we need to guard our hearts and be careful what they're drawn to and the things that might draw us away from God. We need to be aware of the commands that God has given us and be careful that we're not disobeying what God has explicitly told us to do so that we are fully loving him. At the end of the day, God loves us deeply. He loves all of us and he wants a relationship with us. God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world to deal with our sin, to deal with our failures and to bring us into relationship with him, to forgive us to cleanse our hearts, to give us his Holy Spirit so that we can be fully shaped and formed into the women and the men that he created us to be. He wants us to love him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And he wants our hearts, all of our hearts, devoted to him. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.